love. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our New Testament lesson today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. And let me read that for you. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside all the sorry wi- windows sorry all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body he said Tabitha arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up then calling the saints and widows he presented her alive And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, I'm tongue-tied today. Anybody watch Lark Rise to Candleford? Anyone? Yeah, got a few nods out there. Yeah, I've seen it too. Anyway, main character's name's Dorcas, is why I ask. It's the only other time I ever heard that name. All right, anyway, the gospel reading is from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. And let me just uh, remind you, this is God's word to us, and it's given to us because he loves us. And at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the gospel of our Lord. So a couple weeks ago, I traveled to Texas, and then right after or during that trip, while I was in Texas, I had to fly to Washington, D.C. for Presbytery a couple weekends ago, and uh, my flight from Texas to Washington, D- to Washington D.C., uh, got in at midnight to D.C. And by the time I got there, I mean, I was tired and exhausted, and I could not get off the plane fast enough because all I was thinking about was getting in a lift and getting to my hotel and taking a shower and going to bed as quickly as possible. And in my haste to get off that plane as quickly as possible, I left my watch in the seat back pocket of the airplane. Now, no big deal. It's just a cheap $15 Armatron watch. You know, nothing to really get too worked up about. The thing was, though, my wedding band was also on the watch band of my watch that I left in the seat back pocket of the plane. This is just my habit. 
pretty much anywhere I go, but especially on airplanes, once I get to my seat, I take my watch off, I take my wedding band, I put it on the watch strap, I strap the watch, and I set it down, or put it in the seat back pocket. And uh, I was pretty bummed, because I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm pretty sure that wedding band is now lost. And so I thought, well, you know what, when I go back to the airport two days later to fly back to New York, I'll just, you know what, take a shot in the dark, right? Just uh, go by the United uh, Airlines counter and see if they, uh, maybe perhaps someone turn it in. So I found the United Lost and Found, which is in the bowels of Reagan Airport, if you ever need to look for it. And I inquired if someone perhaps had turned in my watch. And there was two ladies uh, working for United at the counter, and there was another lady who was at the counter filling out a loss report. And so I walked in, and I said, hey, has anyone, you know, turned in a cheap watch that also had a wedding band uh, strapped to the, uh, to, the, to the watch band? And they all turned to me and said, ooh, you in trouble. And I said, well, here's the thing. That wedding band is not the original wedding band that my wife gave me, Jesse, on our wedding day. That wedding band on that particular watch strap was a $15 cheap Amazon ring uh, that I had gotten off Amazon because it was about the fourth or fifth wedding band that I have had to replace in my lifetime, similar to this one that's on my hand now, a $15 job from Amazon. And they looked at me like, what is wrong with you? How do you keep losing wedding bands? And what does this say about your fidelity and commitment to marriage, man? You know, I could tell that was what they were thinking by the, by the look on their faces. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, let me, let me tell you the story. So when we lived in St. Louis during seminary, And when Georgia was probably, I don't know, like somewhere between one and two years old, I can't remember exactly how old she was, we went camping and we went hiking a lot because we were poor and we couldn't really afford to do much else, and those are usually cheap to free. Uh, So we we hiked and camped a lot. And one time we were on a hike in, in Missouri, and we had to cross a stream. And it was a pretty wide, and, you know, the the current was moving pretty good. It was moving at a pretty good clip. You know, whatever the lowest class rapids are. I mean, it was, you know, like actually swirling and bubbling and whatever. So, and you know, again, Georgia is like, I mean, she's walking, but she's tiny, right? So she can't go across this thing. So I scoop her up in, uh, in my right arm and we start across this stream and I get out into the middle of the stream and, you know, the, the current is flowing and, and I stumble and I put my hand down to catch myself and it, you know, goes down under the water and I find a rock to like catch myself. But when I do that, my ring, my original wedding band, slips down my finger and I pin it at the last second between the rock and my finger. And I'm holding it there. And I'm just going, ring, Georgia. Ring, Georgia. Ring, Georgia. Bye, ring. And there it goes. So it's somewhere at the bottom of some stream in Missouri. I like to think sometimes that like someone like Smeagol in Lord of the Rings finds it, you know, Andrew's not, he's jiving with me, you know, like, I don't know, it's like a comforting thought, like maybe Smeagol finds it at the bottom of, of the stream. But at any rate, that's what happened. That's how I lost the original wedding band that Jesse gave me on our wedding day. Now, a somewhat costly, again, it wasn't 
the $15 Amazon job that's number five or six, I don't know, I've lost track, that's on my hand today, or this cheap watch that I also got off Amazon. This is somewhat costly, but easy decision, right? I'm sure you would agree. I like that Georgia is still with us today. She's downstairs right now watching some of your children. I like that she's still with us today. I also like that I am not crushed with guilt, that I let my toddler drown over a couple hundred dollar ring. It's a no-brainer because that's what any good father would do. Now, this is Mother's Day. I should be telling stories about Jesse's heroics, and I could, but my story works better with the sermon. So why the longer intro than usual to a typical Brian Stedman sermon? Well, mostly because my kids say they pay better attention when I tell stories at the beginning. But here's the thing. John 10 There is a lot to unpack in this chapter, and we only read a small portion of this longer chapter in the Gospel of John that is known as, of course, the Good Shepherd chapter in John's Gospel. Perhaps one of the most packed chapters in all the Bible where Jesus is going into the depths of what it means that he is the Good Shepherd that Israel has prayed for, they have asked for in their prayers for over hundreds of of years. We prayed the same today already, right? We prayed it in our call to worship. It was mixed in and sprinkled in into our prayers of the people. Psalm 23, it's likely one of your favorite prayers of all time, one that you use often in your prayer life that we have in the Bible. And John 10 follows John 9, duh, right? But in John 9 sets up the context, the um, occasion for when Jesus goes into this longer uh, explanation in John 10. John 9 is that account where Jesus heals the man who was born blind from birth. And if you know that when he heals this man, it sets off this, all this drama in that community between the religious authorities of the day and the people of that community, between the man who was healed, between his parents, between all sorts of people. And uh, anyway, all this uh, drama is set off, and this is all part of a whole series of uh, events that is this rising tension, this escalation of conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities. You see, the religious authorities are threatened by Jesus. They're threatened by his power, that he can heal people like he does. They don't like that the masses are following after Jesus. They don't like how Jesus subverts their system of political power and control, and they really, really don't like it that Jesus keeps making these inferences that he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah, that he and the Father are one, that he is, in fact, the promised one that has come to set everything right. They don't like it that Jesus keeps hinting at this. But they have to be careful. Because they have to be careful, because what if Jesus is, in fact, the real deal? I mean, he did heal a man who was born blind, and that's something. It's not nothing. And they have to be careful, because if Jesus is the real deal, they don't want to be on Jesus' bad side. Because you have to understand their expectation of what the Messiah would do when he comes, at least at this point in the first century, 
Is he going to come put the Romans in their place and elevate Israel back to the top of the world food chain? So if he really is the real deal, they certainly don't want to be on the wrong side of Jesus if that is what he's going to do. So because of all this, they keep asking Jesus, tell us plainly, don't keep us in suspense anymore. Are you or are you not the Christ? And Jesus' reply, I already told you. I've already told you. Listen to what he says in verses 1 through 6. Not printed, therefore, in your, in your bulletins, but let me read it for you. Jesus begins the chapter saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but he did not, but they did not understand what he was saying. You want to know who is the real deal good shepherd? of Psalm 23. Jesus says the good shepherd doesn't sneak in. He doesn't sneak in through the back door, through the window. He comes right in through the sheepfold door, the front door. And the gatekeeper, you see someone would have to sit there at the sheep door and make sure, you know, somebody didn't leave the gate open or somehow the gate got kicked open or whatever and all the sheep get out. The gatekeeper doesn't stop the shepherd from coming in because he recognizes him. He knows who he is. He's seen him before. He lets him right in because he recognizes him as the one who cares for the sheep. And when the good shepherd enters the sheepfold, the sheep don't scatter in fear because they recognize that this is the shepherd. They have seen his works. They have heard his voice. There's no secret. There's no suspense. It's plain as day. Which is why Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, let me read this for you. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves. He leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. You want to know if I'm the real deal? Jesus asks. You want to know if I am the Christ? I'll tell you how you know. I'm not here to save my own skin. I'm here to give my life for the sheep. Now, I would have gone down as one of the most low-down, dirty, awful human beings in the world if in that moment that I have my original wedding band trapped between my finger and that rock in the water, I would have chosen to let Georgia go just to save a couple hundred-dollar ring. Evan has all these scenarios where he thinks I could have done both, but I, I couldn't, right? It was, she was going to drown if I let her go, right? 
I would have been a terrible human being. And you might say, well, that seems silly. That's a silly thing to say. Of course you wouldn't have done that. Who would have done that? I don't know. I mean, you hear about some pretty awful things. But what if, what if it wasn't a gold ring on the line, but it was my life on the line? It was either I drown or Georgia drowns. Well, of course, I would like to think and I would hope and I'm, you know, like 100% confident that in that moment, if it was me drowned to save George's life, of course, I would have drowned if that's what it meant for Georgia to live. Well, friends, we know that Jesus is, in fact, the good shepherd because when the heat gets real, when it's do or die time, Will he stay and defend the sheep versus the wolves, or will he leave to save his own skin and flee because he's not the real deal, good shepherd? Jesus, of course, stays, and he lays down his life for the sheep because there is nothing, nothing that can snatch us out of Jesus' hands. There's no wolf. There's no rushing river. There's no awful thing that you have done. There's no shame or failure in our lives. There's no depression or anxiety. There are no bombs, no tanks, no drones, no virus, no loss of health, no loss of wealth. There is absolutely nothing that can snatch us out of our Father's hand. Not even death. Not even death is powerful enough to snatch us out of the Father's hand because when the stuff got real, Jesus stayed with the sheep until the wolves killed him. But we know that not the wolves, not death, not hell could even snatch the Son out of the Father's We know that Jesus is the real deal good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. And we know that he has the power to hold us in his embrace no matter what because his resurrection vindicates that there is no power, no force in this world, nothing more powerful than the embrace of his love to hold us in his arms as the good shepherd. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's respond to God's word by confessing our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I ask you, brothers and sisters, in whom do you trust? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
The offering is how you can continue to support this church in its worship and work. You can give your tithes and offerings by either mailing in a check to the office or giving online, and those instructions are on our website.